And so that's what we did. The first ride we came to was Drop Zone. According to the website, Drop Zone is 265 feet high, 26 stories, and the drop, you reach 65 miles per hour on the drop. I'm thinking, yes, this is it. My son is going to ride Drop Zone. You know the old saying, go big or go home. So we go up to the place and the line is there and he gets there and he does the breathing thing and he fits, just fits. We're so excited. We're standing in line. Not a big line because it was a Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. And not a big line, so it wasn't a long wait. And I'm like, son, this is awesome. Are you ready for this? And he's like, yeah, Dad, I'm so, you know, this is just... So we get into drop zone, and if you have been on drop zone, you don't sit next to someone. There's a little bit of a space between you. I'm okay with that. You know, he's my son. He's ready for this. He's big. He's grown. He's, he's, I'm never going to be in Hanna-Barbera land again. That's what I'm thinking. So he's sitting there. They strap us in. He's holding on, and the ride begins to ascend. You've been on it, right? You know what I'm talking about. You get to the top, and they do this kind of twist. And when the twist happens, then the drop happens. As we are about to drop, I look at my son, and he's like this. As soon as they release us, the look of terror on his face. It was in that moment, it's only about 0.8 of a second, I thought, you have failed as a father. (laughs) You have gone for the big when all you needed was the little. We spent the rest of the week in Hanna-Barbera land. (laughs) Sometimes we get caught up in that, don't we? We get caught up in this idea of everything has to be big in order for it to be a success. We forget that sometimes it's just the little things that make a big difference. This morning, if you're Kevin Durant, you're thinking about those two inches of your toe standing on the line, and it was the difference between a two-point shot and a three-point shot, two inches. He's home on vacation and the Milwaukee Bucks are progressing on just because of something so small. Little is important sometimes. The small things are important. And the reason why they're important is because of what God can do with them. So this morning, what we're going to do is look at John chapter 6, and we're going to see three reasons why we know little is much in the hand of God. Three reasons why we know little is much in the hand of God. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And so this morning we will be in John 6, but I will reference Matthew 14, Luke chapter 9, and Mark 6. Just take my word for it and don't try to flip back and forth. And stay with me in John chapter 6. And we will discover three reasons why we know little is much in the hand of God. Reason number one is the undeniable need. The undeniable need. Look what happens in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Where will we get the food? It is late in the day, according to Matthew chapter 14. 
there is a need that is undeniable. The 5,000 is the men, and then when you begin to add in the wives and the mothers and the children, you get about 20,000. You've got about 20,000 people on this mountainside that Jesus is looking out to. And he says, how are we going to feed them? The people are hungry. Uh, The disciples have nothing, no money. They have no food. Remember, they have left all to follow Jesus. They had not planned for a meal or some kind of a banquet. They had only decided to follow after Jesus, as did the crowd. The crowd ran after Jesus, hoping to see some miracles. They didn't say, let's grab a lunch and let's go. Uh, There is a tremendous need. It's undeniable. It's too far to go and get something. In Matthew, he calls it a desolate place two times to reiterate the fact that there's nothing around this place. It is desolate. It's also remote, according to Luke chapter 9. It is a remote location. So there's no one around that we can stop in and maybe get something from. The, the need is undeniable and too tired. Imagine what it's been like. Jesus being pursued all day by this crowd In Mark's account, Mark said, we didn't even have leisure time to even eat. So Jesus has gone through this day. He's tired. He's hungry. The need of the people is undeniable. It's great. It's overwhelming. And Matthew tells us that Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. The first reason why little is much in the hand of the Lord is because the undeniable need the undeniable need of the people that are there as well as for ourselves. Lesson number one or reason number one, the undeniable need. Reason number two is the untrustworthy solution. The untrustworthy solution. I know I I just noticed some of you looked at your watches or your phone and you thought, wow, that only took about three and a half minutes. You're already imagining that two and three are going to go this quickly. Stop doing that. (laughs) You will not be first in line at the smorgasbord in Urbana. These next two are much deeper and richer in reason. The second reason is untrustworthy solution. John chapter 6, verse 5. Verse 6, it said, He said this to test him. Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Jesus said this to test him. Philip was from the Bethsaida area, so it did make sense to ask Philip, but Jesus was also trying to test him, uh, for uh, himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do, but Philip answered anyway. He said, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? The untrustworthy solution of the disciples. Uh, All the gospel accounts tell the story and explain the story that the disciples acted in a deliberative manner. They thought this through. Jesus asked, and so they thought it through. Too far to go get bread, so we can't do that. It's late, so there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, Too much bread to pay for it. Philip immediately goes to money, right? Philip thinks about money. Maybe we can get 200 denarii. Maybe we can pay this off. But Philip fails the test because Philip had seen the miracles of Jesus. Philip had been with Jesus and heard Jesus' words. 
Philip had been aware of what it was that Jesus was all about. And he goes to money. He goes to money instead of going to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking things through. And granted, all their calculations were correct. But they had forgotten Christ. They had forgotten the incalculable Christ. How do you factor in? They didn't even do that. They didn't even factor in Christ. Instead, they just said, no, this is the solution. Send them away. There is a need. I'll fix your need. Let's get rid of it. Let's just eliminate the need. So if we send everyone away, we don't have to feed them. The disciples, the solution to get rid of them. Now, before I'm too hard on Philip, the same thing can be said of myself. I sometimes, when faced with a need that is so great, I run through the calculations in my mind how I'm going to fix this. Remember, I'm the dad. I can fix anything. And sometimes I leave out Christ. And when we do that, that's an untrustworthy solution. Jesus is talking to the disciples and testing the disciples. He wants them to come up with the conclusion that he can do something about that. Remember when they were in the boat? When they were in the boat and uh, the storm comes up and where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat. Where do they go when they need help? They go to the back of the boat to Jesus and wake him up and say, don't you care? And what does Jesus do? Peace be still and everything's quiet. Uh, They have forgotten the incalculable Christ. He is the one that should be factored into this equation. And look what happens in verse 8. To kind of compound the problem or the uh, untrustworthy solution, look what happens in verse 8. It says, And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? How far will they go among so many? What difference does it make? In essence, he's saying, okay, here's this guy. He's got five loaves, two fishes. What difference does it make anyway? Uh, Andrew must have been quite the people person, don't you think? Remember, he was the one that met Jesus and then ran to get his brother Simon and said, hey, listen, we found a Messiah. Uh, Andrew's the one that must have been combing the crowd to find some solution, and he comes up with these five loaves and two fish. But you see what he says. Here it is, but what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Well, the difference that it makes is that little is much in the hand of God. Little is much in the hand of God. The disciples forgot that. The the disciples do not say that. Now, what's happening here is that Jesus continues to verify the reality that this is an undeniable need. This need is so great. And what I'm about to do is something so amazing and so miraculous. He's just creating the setup. He's just ready for that, getting us ready for that. Also, Andrew's pointing out the absurdity of this. Five loaves, two fishes, 20,000 people. The thing that makes humor so great is the dramatic contrast. Are the rest of the disciples like laughing behind Andrew's back, trying to hold it in? Andrew, this is laughable that you would bring these five loaves and two fishes. This is a laughable situation. This is the absurdity of all absurds. 
Remember, barley was for the poor. And so these, the, the, this is a poor bread. The fish was dried or pickled. It's not the feast of kings. The absurdity of this is unbelievable. The untrustworthy solution of the disciples. Jesus, however, Jesus is not laughing because what we are about to see is how little is much in the hand of God. My wife said, what are you preaching on this week? I said, I, I said I'm going to use this sermon. And she said, what's the title? And I told her, little is much in the hand of God. And I said, I've subtitled it, How God Uses a Teacher Salary. That was my subtitle. <laughs> but isn't it like that sometimes? When we look at what we have, we forget what it is that God can do with it. We forget that there is something so small and so insignificant to some that when placed into the hands of God, he transformed it into this marvelous miracle. What a wonderful thing it is to consider with this untrustworthy solution, the amazingness of what is about to happen. Now be careful here. Uh, Don't fall prey to the sharing solution. There are some that say, well, the little boy pulled out his loaves and his fish And then everyone else was like, oh, I just found my stuff and began to share. And people, that's not what happens here. This is not a sharing solution. This is a miracle that is about to happen. The sharing solution, this crowd did not plan to be with Jesus. They especially did not plan to be with him all day long. Instead, they heard and saw and ran to where Jesus was. So there's no sharing solution here. Uh, The solution is Jesus Christ. Can I just say something about giving for just a moment? Give what you have. That's what the little boy did. He had five loaves, two fish. He gave them. He gave what he had. What do you have this morning that you can give? What do you have this morning that you can give? Give what you have. Please notice as well that give without embarrassment. 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish. Here, here. You should be embarrassed, young man, for bringing that. that there's no way that's going to do that. No, he was not embarrassed. It's what he had, it's what he gave. Don't be embarrassed with what you give. Giving, give despite the resistance. I'm not sure. I don't know if Andrew was the first to confront this young boy or to hear this young boy. Maybe the other disciples said, kid, kid, just, can you just step aside? This is adult stuff. Kid, can you just not say anything? And then maybe finally Andrew said, okay, fine, come on. Give despite resistance. There are those when they hear that you're giving, think you shouldn't do that. I remember I was responsible for a membership class one time when I was teaching, and I said that sometimes uh, in church what happens is that people give 10% of their money or more. And there was a guy that was in the class at the time. He didn't say it at the moment, but he was an unbelievable unbeliever. And he, he said to me later, he said, when you said people give 10% of their money or more, he said, I said, there's no way I'm ever doing that. That guy came to Christ And his wallet became so open that money was flying out of it. Don't give 
in fear of someone holding you back. Give despite resistance. Also, do you notice what happens here? Give anonymously. There are four accounts of this story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What's the little boy's name? What's the little boy's name that gave the bread and the fish for such an amazing miracle that it's in all four gospel accounts? Nowhere is his name. Give anonymously. Also, at the end of this miracle, and we'll get there, 12 baskets for whom? 12 disciples. What about the little boy? Shouldn't there have been a 13th basket for him to take home? Give anonymously. That's what happens here. Also, be a giver and not a taker. Do you know the difference? Uh, When you're with a taker, you're with them, and you sneak a look at your watch, and you think, has my battery died? (laughs) Or you start to think, can this go on any longer? Or perhaps it's curfew, right? All of a sudden, you're out with friends, and it's not a good time, and you say, oh, I remember, my parents, I have a curfew, I need to go. (laughs) That's how you know you're with drainers. People that are taking from you, it's just a labor. You know you're with givers because you never look at your watch. Instead, you sit and just enjoy their presence. You just enjoy time with them. You aren't making up excuses to get away. Instead, you are like, where did the time go? Be a giver, not a taker. Little is much in God's hand. There is an undeniable need. There is an untrustworthy solution the disciples had. And the third reason, little as much in in the hand of God, is because of the unrestrained power of Jesus. The unrestrained power of Jesus. Uh, Notice what happens beginning in verse 10 of John chapter 6. It says, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus, and Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. First of all, Jesus says to his disciple, have the people sit down. So you're a disciple, you're walking through this crowd, and you're saying, okay, sit down. What would be your first question? Why? Why am I going to sit down? And the disciples are like, I don't know. Remember, they've already concluded that this is impossible. They have already concluded that bread and all, that's not what's going to happen here. So the disciples are telling people to sit down. And when they sit down, the miracle happens. When we are obedient to what God has to say, something happens, doesn't it? Think about Jesus when he went to Cana and he was at the wedding. Do you remember what Mary said to the servants? Mary said, do whatever he tells you. And what did the servants do? Whatever Jesus said. What was the result? Fresh wine. The marvelous miracle. 
of water into wine. They got to experience that because they were obedient to Jesus. My wife and I went with a group of teachers to Israel. We just spent 10 days there, and then we've been home about a week. And when we were in Israel, we went to the place of the Beatitudes, the Mount of Beatitudes. They have a church there. The feeding of the 5,000, we saw all of that. And we went into the church, and there was a guy that was in the church, and he was from Honduras, and he had learned to speak English in South Africa, and now he was in Israel in seminary, and he was waiting for his next assignment. Honduras was his home, and so one of, in our group said to him, do you want to go back to Honduras? His response was, I want to go where God wants me to go. And the guy said, well, wouldn't you want to go home? And the guy said, I was obedient before. I will be obedient again because God blesses me. How great is that? I'm going to be obedient, so I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down in that field and see what happens. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. Have them sit down. This miracle is going to be a display of his power. Now, the power, I think, is evidenced in two ways. First of all, is what is talked about in both Mark and Matthew when it says that he was moved with compassion. Jesus, before this miracle, had heard the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded and dead. And Jesus said, I I need to get away. I need a secluded place. And so when he tried to get into the secluded place, the crowd ran after him. The crowd pursued him, so he had no time to grieve. He had no time to do anything. But instead of looking out at the crowd and being, oh my goodness, these people, I've had enough of them. Instead, his heart was broken. When they use the word compassion, they use the word that talks about a visceral reaction. Two parts to this. It was a physical moving. Jesus was physically moved by this. He was emotionally moved by the sight of the crowd, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved by this crowd. He welcomed these people after being pressed and pressed and pressed. He doesn't send them away. Instead, he loves them. He saw a great crowd, Matthew tells us, and had compassion on them. Uh, They were like sheep without a shepherd. For Jesus, perhaps it conjures up the image of the lost sheep. As he looked out and saw these folks sprinkled on the hillside, he thought these are part of those that are lost and they need to be found. Or perhaps it was uh, the the vision of the, the shepherd laying down his life for his sheep and Jesus became overwhelmed with his own mission of the cross and says, I must reach these people. So the unrestrained power of Jesus is not just in the miracle that he does, but also in the love that he shows. It's incredible for him to set aside what is happening in his own life, the grief and the sorrow that could be overwhelming him, the fatigue, the tiredness from ministering and serving and saying, I love you guys and I'm reaching out to you. That's a tremendous demonstration of his power. He sees sheep, sheep who are harassed, sheep who are bewildered, 
Sheep who are wandering and lost. He sees them as individuals, as moms and dads, sons and daughters. He sees them and his heart is broken for them. The unrestrained power of Jesus is the love that he has. Can we pause for just a moment and go back to the obedience thing? Do you know why I want to be obedient to Jesus? Because he loves me so much. You see, obedience doesn't come because of this father who is a tyrant, but it comes because of this father who gave himself for me and loves me so much, and I want to obey him. We move forward, and Jesus feeds them. Do you see what happens before the miracle? In both Mark and Luke, it says that uh, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus began to teach them many things. That's Mark's account. Luke 9, Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. When Jesus saw need that affected him both emotionally and physical, he does not feed them first physical food. He feeds them spiritual food. Do you realize what he is giving them? He is giving them the words of God because that's who he is. And so there's Jesus and he sees the needs of people and he says, what you need is the word of God. The word of God. The disciples didn't see that need. The disciples only saw the hunger part, which is going to get taken care of here in a moment. But please do not underestimate the importance of feeding on the words of God. I, I have a computer just like you all do, and so I am uh, oftentimes watching what happens here at Grace Chapel, the messages. And here is one undeniable fact about Grace Chapel. Your pastor preaches the word of God. Your pastor preaches the word of God. That does not happen everywhere. You need to thank him for that. Because he opens the book, and out of the book are the words of God to you. That's what you need most. That's what you need most. And that's what he gives you. Because he is a shepherd who loves you. The unrestrained demonstration of the power is this idea of Jesus. Jesus is reeling from the news of John the Baptist. He had planned on an escape, a seclusion, a getaway. He had planned not to be a part of this crowd. Jesus' solution was to love them and to teach them. He didn't say, but fellas, what about me? Instead, he said, what about them? Uh, There's this game. It's a card game. I don't play cards. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do either. But I've heard of this game. It's called Rook. Have you heard of this? In Rook, my in-laws play it, and they're pretty good at it, I guess. In it, there's a card with a bird on it. Do you know what that's called? That's called the Trump card. Have you heard of that before? And what happens? Everybody's playing along and all of a sudden someone pulls out a card and they drop that one down and they trump that. Have you heard of that before? I think that that has one of the the curses or the hangovers from COVID-19 is the trump card. 
Because when you approach someone and they say, how are you doing? You start to tell them and they are listening just so they get a chance to tell you how much worse they've had it than you've had it. I don't know if that happens around here, but that happens around where I am. You go into, and someone says, how are you doing? And you start to say, and they go, oh, but you know, and they, they trump you. Jesus doesn't do that ever. He could. The devastation that he was feeling, he could have pulled out his rook and trumped everybody and said, I'm done with you. I'm walking away. But the demonstration of his great love to us, he reaches out and teaches them. But he doesn't just fill their spiritual need, but he also fills their physical need. As you look at what Jesus did, do you ask yourself, when was the last time I set aside my feelings for someone else's feelings? When is the last time I was tired, but I still reached out to someone? Or do we wait until everything's lined up perfectly and we feel marvelous, now let's go? It's something little, it's something small, placed into the hand of God that can be done marvelous things with it. Love is looking at others, not myself. Love is about you and not about me. Love is about not seeing your faults, but going beyond them. My grandmother lived with me my entire childhood, from the time I can remember until I went away to college. And she was even in the same town where I was when I was in college for a couple of years. And she used to play uh, this group, the Rambo Singers. Have you heard of them? Dottie Rambo. She was part of a group, her daughter and her husband, they sang uh, together And one of her songs that Dottie Rambo wrote, it's to the tune of Danny Boy. It says this, Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought me liberty. I do not know just why he ever came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. That's what Jesus does. He looks beyond to love you. Now, the other part of this unrestrained power of Jesus is not only his love, but also the miracle that he does. Uh, The miracle, Jesus takes the loaves and gave thanks, and then they're distributed. John MacArthur calls these loaves crackers, kind of in a pejorative way. But here's Jesus giving thanks for the simplicity of these things. Now, I think Jesus is giving thanks for the five loaves and the two fish, but I also think that Jesus is giving thanks for the 20,000 people that are going to go away full. Because Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows what is going to happen when he releases his power. This is not a restorative miracle. We've seen those before, right? Where he has restored the legs of the lame. He has restored the eyes of the blind. He has restored the hearing. That's a restorative miracle. Uh, This is not a transformative miracle. That's water into wine. We've seen those before. But instead, this is a John 1 miracle. Do you remember John 1? Let me read it to you. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is a creating miracle. Jesus is going to verify the reality that he is the creator. He is going to create these things. They distributed the bread. They distributed the fish. I have no idea how it went. Do you think they had a loaf and just kept pinching off a piece and thinking, and then just, I don't know how it happened. But I do know this. They were willing to be used of God, the small boy, five loaves, two fish, being willing to be used of God, something so small, something so little. Are you this morning willing to be used of God? You say, but well, I... No. Remember? He takes the smallest things that you have and turns them into miracles. You say, well, you know, I only have a couple of minutes. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. He just needs for you to say, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Take me, I'm yours. The disciples are here and they see this miracle. You can pretend to cure the sick. You can convince someone, you know, like build them up emotionally, and maybe they're able to walk a couple of steps and convince people. But to to convince 20,000 people that they are so full they don't want to eat anymore, this is an amazing miracle of the creative power of Jesus Christ. It's unrestrained. He unleashes it. He allows himself to put on full display what it is that he's able to do. There is an abundant supply without any waste because he picks up the leftovers and gives them to the disciples. There is a marvelous sense of what God does. One writer said this, Jesus, or God, takes impossible situations, unbelievably limited resources, and multiplies them for the well-being of others and the glory of his name. The other thing about this miracle Remember at the end of John's book, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, he says there's all kinds of miracles that didn't make it into the book. But he says these miracles were done so that you might believe. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you believe that his unrestrained power can take the little that you have that you can give and turn it into something marvelous and miraculous it doesn't have to be go big or go home it has to be here lord this is what i have jesus christ does a marvelous thing now the crowd doesn't see it the way we are seeing it instead the crowd sees it as this is our guy because what we can do now is we can be fed daily. Because remember, in first century, when Jesus was living, meal planning was difficult. You had to plant it. You had to cultivate it. You had to harvest it. You had to acquire it. You had to prepare it. You had to cook it. You had to eat it and then start all over again. It was not a simple process in first century. But when they see Jesus, their eyes light up. This is amazing. But they see him as an economic deliverer not a deliverer of souls. And Jesus wants nothing to do with that. 
And again, before we're too harsh on those that are around watching what Jesus is doing, I have to look at myself. Do I sometimes treat Jesus like a cash machine? I think of my own circles. I I teach high school students. And I think about them. Sometimes their prayers are, uh, Jesus, I need a homecoming date. Jesus, give me an A on that test. Jesus, make sure I get into the best college. Jesus, give me this. Jesus, give me that. But Jesus isn't a cash machine. He is not our ATM guy. He is an individual, a person with whom we want to have a relationship because he saves us, he transforms us, he, he, he makes us different, he makes us new. He makes us available for himself and for his work. He whittles away all the things that are, are not pleasing and creates us into the image of his son. Jesus wants nothing to do with what's going on here. One writer said this, We say to Jesus, give me what I want, the way I want it, and when I want it. Give me the life I want now. Now, Think about this for just a moment. I am not sure how long this took. But Jesus did not say to the disciples immediately when they came to him about the problem, Jesus did not immediately say, I got this, guys. Instead, there was a process, a process through which they went to finally reach the conclusion, Jesus is the one. You see, sometimes the reason why you do not receive the immediate response from God is because there's something more that he wants you to understand than just the end results. And there were those that did not get it, but there were others that did. They understood that little is much in the hand of God. The touch of Jesus, him being with you, he is the one that is going to transform and to change your life. Jesus intended to come on his own terms. Because at the end here in John chapter 6, verse 15, what does Jesus do? Jesus leaves. He goes away. Jesus is not one to condescend to the whims of the crowd. Popularity meant nothing to Jesus. Instead, what meant everything to him was the plan of his heavenly father who said, you're going to the cross and die. This is not the plan. And Jesus left and went away from the crowd. The reason why little is much in the hand of God is because of the undeniable need. The reason little is much in in the hand of God is because of the untrustworthy solutions. And the reason why little is much in the hand of God is because of the unrestrained power of Jesus. Are you willing for that this morning? For Jesus to be a part of your life? There's an old story. It's, you've probably heard it a number of times. It's an old story about an auctioneer who was going through a pile of things that he was selling and he came upon an old, dusty, kind of broken-looking violin. And he began to talk to the crowd and say to the crowd, who will give me a dollar for this? How about two dollars? Maybe three? Will someone give me three for this? And before he could make the sale, out from the back, an old man came kind of slowly to the platform and he lifted the violin up and he began to tune the strings and twist them and set them and he tested the bow and he put it under his chin and he began to play a magical sound, a marvelous song that permeated the place. He set it down and he walked away and the auctioneer said, who'll give me a thousand? (laughs) 
Who'll give me 2,000? Who'll give me 3,000? And someone in the crowd said, what's the difference? And the old auctioneer, he said, the difference is the touch of the master's hand. This morning, will you allow the master, Jesus Christ, to touch your life and bring his love and his saving power into your existence? Let's pray together. Father, what a marvelous thing it is to be in a place where your word means so much. And Lord, we are relying upon the power of your word and the opportunity of your spirit to work. We're relying on those things to change us, to take what little we have and put it into your hands so that you can do marvelous things with us. Father, allow us to trust you and rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.